I want to minister today on a, a word, uh, the continual pursuit for more. You know, we think about the great American dream, and you know, when, when uh, we've had the honor of going to several countries in the world, some of you also have had that honor, and when you come home, you always have this revelation that America really is a blessed nation. And if you were in service or military and you saw other countries or you've done, visited, traveled, traveled for vacation or ministry work, you come home with that awareness and that revelation, America truly is a blessed nation. And that is wonderful because God has done that, because America has been faithful in its past to honor and to serve the Lord. And Lord, help us is our prayer, not just for the benefit that we receive, the blessing we receive, but for because it's just right to honor the Lord and the nation that exalts the Lord will be blessed. And those are promises from God's Word. But yet, there's a danger and I've always realized this for myself, and I think it's true for all of us as a Christian. The most dangerous time in your life as a believer in the Lord is when you're blessed. Because you tend to say, oh, wow, you know, I made it to this level, and God's blessing me, and, and he's answering my prayer. And we kind of tend to just, our nature, our, our humanness, kind of tends to just want to relax and just enjoy the ride. And kind of coast, you know. And it's a dangerous time because that's a time when the enemy can slip in. And in that time that we're not as uh, front line or we're not as diligent, we're not as vigilant as we should be. And definitely the Bible calls us. If you read the word of God, it is calling you and I to watch and to pray like never before. When you see these signs that are happening upon the earth. And I don't want to just overemphasize the earthquake, but that's, that's just one of the many the, the weather's wacky, and uh, it's, it, the signs of, that are going on in the earth, the earth is groaning, you know, for, for the day of redemption. And Jesus said, and the prophet said, when you see these days and you see these signs, take note that the last days are upon you, that this generation will see the coming of the Son of Man. And so, but, so the danger of all that is, is that we get blinded and blindsided by the devil, and we have this continual desire in our heart, a continual pursuit for more of the things of this world. And that's the danger also that Paul warned in his writings to Timothy and his other epistles. And he, and he said in the last days, people would be lovers of self more than lovers of God. They would heap to themselves riches and treasures, you know, not loving the world and loving the things of the world. So many of us battle with believing the lie that if we could just get that, a little more of that, I would be happy, fulfilled, and satisfied in our life. As the slide shows us, there's the guy on the wheel, the little hamster wheel or gerbil wheel with the carrot being dangled in front of him. And many times that continual pursuit of more causes us to get on that wheel of trying to have more, achieve more, find more, have more, enjoy more, and we chase that elusive carrot. Some of us find the carrot. But we've, some of us find the carrot at great expense. Jesus said, you know, that it, it's, it's not worth it to gain the whole world and yet lose our own soul and be deceived by material possessions of this world. Jesus told us over and over and over again, be satisfied, and Paul did too, be satisfied with what you have. Now, that's not against the pursuit of wanting to better yourself. 
but you can get so blinded to it that you that the the trick of our flesh and what the enemy would use against you and I is that when we get a little bit that we don't we're not satisfied. We always want a little bit more. We always want the next level. And so we we say, well, if I could just get that, a little more of that, I'd be happy, fulfilled, and satisfied with life because that is what's missing in my life. But when you end up, you got to hang on to this. This is almost a tongue twister. But when you end up getting more of that that you recognize that that didn't satisfy the need you had, so you think that you need a little more of that. But when you get a little more of that, then you realize that that promises a lot, but that does not deliver like you thought it would. Anybody been there? Had to have that car. Had to have that new house. Had to have that new suit. Had to have those new shoes. Had to have whatever. And you bought it. And you know, after a day or two or a month or something, what you realize is, oh no, this is a new car payment. Oh no, this is extra insurance. Oh no, this is, this is more than I bargained for. This is not the outcome that I really hoped and thought for. The theme, believe it or not, the theme that is most relevant in our time than ever before in history is this. It's the pursuit of fame. The pursuit of fame. What is that? The desire to be known, the desire to be liked, the desire to be admired, to be accepted, to be respected, to be followed, even the desire to be famous. Now, I don't know how many people in this room today or listening online really desire to be famous, and maybe you don't feel like that really pertains to you. I'm not seeking to be famous but you may not be in a full pursuit of seeking to be famous. You may be in what some people call a micro, you might be having micro cravings of fame. What does that look like? Well, you want to be known, you want to be loved, and you want to be accepted. That sounds reasonable. The desire shows up in very small ways in our lives as Christians in that when you overcommit to a project or people because you're afraid to say no to anybody. Now, don't raise your hand if that's you today, but it, you know, it's wonderful to volunteer in service to the Lord, but sometimes you can do too much and get too involved in order to be accepted and liked and known by people. You have to watch your motive, which we'll talk about through this message. You overcommit. You end up doing more than you'd like to because you don't want to let anybody down. You have an overachieving complex. You really, you have a fear of man, a fear of people that they would dislike you if you don't. Now, don't take that as don't get involved and do anything, but yet you have to know what God wants you to do, and you have to do that. There was a time here or a time somewhere and uh, that somebody, they were involved in, they tried to be involved in every ministry that WOW has. Well, Sylvia and I, when we first came here, we tried to visit all the ministries back then in 1994, and we found out we couldn't even get around to all the ministries because there were so many going on. It was, it was physically impossible to be involved in them all or even to visit them all and see what they were doing because some of them were operating at the same time, same day, and all that kind of situation. Well, there was a couple, and they were trying to be involved in every ministry that there was, and I saw that. But yet I knew about their home life too, their family life, their marriage. It wasn't good. And I went to them with fear and, and, and intimidation and, and prayer and concern as a pastor. And I said, I want to talk to you guys. Well, what's this about? I said, I noticed that you're involved in so many ministries. They said, yeah. And, and, and they, could, they would just list all the ministries. And I said, do you realize you can actually be doing too much? I said, how's your home time? They said, well, we're not home very much. 
I said, you're not home very much because you're here or doing something all the time. They said, well, yeah. And so they were, they were very, they were just very intrigued with that. They were so committed to everything that they didn't have a home life. It affected their marriage. It affected their children. So there's a danger. You can swing too far. You can swing the pendulum too far that you can be overcommitted. That's a way that you're seeking for people to love you like you know you. And then you may be struggling with you want the, you want the credit for something or everything that you do at job, at the job, at work, at the, around the house, in the neighborhood, uh, wherever you are. You want people to know that you did it, that you're the one. Uh, you gave, and then you want them to know that you gave. You served, and you want them to know how you served and what you did. And if I'm, you're going to show up for something, you want people to give you the credit for that. And that's a struggle. And then you could be in a secret desire for a micro-craving for fame. You could be overly sensitive to criticism. Wow. You can't handle any kind of rejection because you have a fear of man and you're seeking to be accepted and to loved and wanted and valued. Now, we all want to be valued. That's, that's, that's good and that's normal. But yet when it's out of balance, that's not good and that's not normal. A hundred people, and when you're like this, overly sensitive to criticism, a hundred people could tell you that something that you've done or something's good, but if one person gives you a negative comment, you fall apart. They don't really know me, you say. Or that's not fair, they're judging me. It's a micro-craving for fame that you want everybody to like and accept you. And social media, there's a lot of wonderful things that social media can be used for and is being used for a lot of wonderful things but there's a lot of bad things out there that social media is being used for and it's become a breeding ground for the hunger for some people for fame it's people say well did you like my picture did you like my caption did you like my like if they don't get enough likes they jerk that down they put something else up let's try this let's throw this out there we live for likes and long for love and then there's those that, for those of, of us who don't think that we're hungering for likes to be known and uh, uh, admired and respected, there's chances are either your children or your friends or somebody you know is struggling with this micro-craving for fame. Listen to what research says about 10 and 12-year-olds. 10 and 12-year-olds. Here's what's in, on the mind of your 10, 11, and 12-year-old today. Research has said their number one uh, top desire in life and goal in life is not financial security. It's not success or achievement. It's not for uh, community or great relationships. Their number one goal and desire for 10, 11, and 12-year-olds is to be famous, to be broadly known, to be accepted, respected, and famous. Research shows then that ages of 22 to 37-year-olds, 50%, half of those at age group of 22 through 37-year-olds, 50% of them believe that their life should be made into a movie. I know. It, it, is, it is humorous. I don't know of anybody's life that spectacular that could warrant or merit a movie, but that's, that's what research tells us. Research also shows that people would be willing, what, what people would be willing to do for their name to become a famous household name. One in 12 people would actually disown their family in order for them to become a household name famous. Wow. One in nine people would, would give up the possibility of marriage in order to become famous in a household name. 
one in six would be willing to give up having children. It didn't say give up their present children. It said give up being, having children, okay? But what that's saying is people today would be willing to give up what's most important, what really is valuable in an attempt to become famous, to be known, to be accepted, to be liked. And it's not totally wrong to be famous. God's got some really famous people. I mean, you can look at Abraham. He's known as the friend of God. How many of us have earned or received that title from the Lord? David, in all of his doings and good and bad, David was earned a title from God, a man after God's own heart. He was famous. We read David, we read the Psalms, and we, you know, we, we put our children to bed reading the stories about David and Goliath and the victories of David and the great things of David. And what about his son Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth? He became, and became the richest and the most famous also. We still point back to Solomon and say, wow. Now, he didn't end up well and he didn't do well, but he was famous. And then, of course, there's Jesus. And Jesus, because of his love and miraculous power, he not only was, but he still is famous. Amen? He is famous. <clears throat> Always is and will be. While it may not be wrong to be famous, the pursuit of fame, and here's the danger. While it's not wrong to be famous, the pursuit of fame can be very dangerous to your faith. Very dangerous to your faith. Because, sorry, the trajectory that you are trying to be famous, what it does, it takes your heart away from God. And it places your attention upon yourself. That's always a bad move, isn't it? Always a bad move to take your focus away from the Lord and place it on yourself and have other people look towards you. The scriptures, both Old and New Covenant, are just full of admonition to us. Seek to help others and seek to honor the Lord first. And it's very difficult to be focused on others when others are focusing on you because that's what you want. And it moves the love of your heart away from God and others towards you. And there's a time when a person really, there was a time when people really had to do something spectacular to accomplish the status of fame. I mean, you had to break a, a land speed record or you had to walk on the moon or you had to become a famous actor, politician, inventor, scientist or do something significant, right? Right? But today, all you've got to do is crank up YouTube, take a selfie, video something, self-record something, put it out there, and all of a sudden, boom, you're instant famous, or so you think. And the nature and the accessibility of fame, it's moved from doing something truly significant and meaningful to some of the most absolutely absurd acts and activities that people could ever be involved in. I mean, sometimes I just look at things that, you know, come out as, a, as an email or as a post, and I just look at it and just say, that, that, that's crazy. That's just crazy. They're, they're Facebook superstars who become famous for doing some ridiculous things. And anything, really, today, anything goes. Anything goes today. Uh, any of you heard of Alex from Target? No? Where have you guys been? What do you listen to? What do you watch? This is the story of Alex. Alex was an ordinary 16-year-old who worked at a Target in Texas, and he was photo-snapped by an admiring young girl, and his picture went viral. Alex ended up on CNN with over 20 million followers from a picture from a girl who thought he was cute. 
He lost his job with Target because there were so many people in his line wanting a personal photo snapshot with him. The store said, we can't handle this. The, the people can't get through the line. We're overcrowded here for nonsense and not for selling merchandise. So he lost his job. And it says that he went on to seek an entertainment career. Of course, why not? I'm 20 million followers, I mean, you know. That's why so many folks are out there posting their picture or their stunt or their story to try to get known, famous, popular, accepted, loved, and liked. Looking for likes and starving for love. True. And you can leverage all the attention and use it for good purposes as you could. Alex was a good kid. He wasn't a bad kid. He wasn't evil. But you have to be careful because, listen, the typical person cannot handle The typical person cannot handle that kind of popularity. And that's what happened to Alex. I don't know if Alex was a Christian, but Alex ended up crushed. His mother had a story after all of these interviews and all of this fame and all this popularity. His mother was interviewed, and his mother's testimony, Alex was absolutely crushed by the popularity. His life was changed. He couldn't go anywhere without people noticing him and and wanting a photo snapshot, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, he, 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 he just he wrecked his life. He couldn't even be an ordinary young person anymore. And if you don't believe what research has said, what I said to you, or what the Bible says, maybe you'll be convinced about what Jim Carrey says. Jim Carrey, the crazy guy? This is what Jim Carrey said. It really it was a, a light of wisdom coming from somebody that I didn't think it could come from before. But Jim Carrey says this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. That's come from somebody who's done it and got it all. A lot more than you and I sitting here today or either you're hiding it very well. Where, what and where is the answer? I realize everybody in here today is not trying to be famous and and become a YouTube star and be interviewed by the news network and all that. But there is a desire in every one of us that we have to battle because we want to be liked, we want to be loved, we want to be accepted. But many times that fear of man can cause us to do things and become things, a person, that we're not as accepted before the Lord. And what I mean by that is he loves us but we're not in as good a relationship with the Lord because we're more concerned what people think and say about us. And so we don't walk as close to the Lord as we could and should because that's not cool in some people's eyes that we're trying to win popularity and acceptance with. But one of the greatest examples in Scripture of somebody who got this fame thing right and how to handle pressure when he became famous was John the Baptist. Think about his life this way. I mean, this guy was strange. He was unique. He was a prophet who dressed in animal skins and had a very weird, unconventional diet. You talk about keto, this guy was beyond keto. He was weird. You know, the, the, the locusts he ate, that was not the bug necessarily. Some people think it was. Other people think it's a carob, part of a carob plant, kind of like a, where a cocoa bean comes from, something similar to that. There's, there's still controversy about that. But even, hey, there's people that eat fried crickets. Or baked and salted, you know, so maybe that was his diet. Anyway, dressed in animal skins, strange diet, out in the wilderness, yelling at everybody. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He created, but he created a following because he was interesting. He was unique. He had a weirdness about him that, let's, hey, we don't have anything to do Saturday night. Let's go down to Jordan River. Let's watch this guy. Let's see his act. It's, I heard it's really good. But he created that following. 
But his message was this. I'm here to prepare the way for the Messiah. You need to repent and turn to the Lord. Well, that probably didn't keep the crowd too long, but that was his message. But crowds followed him, and he did grow in popularity. And John, we think, had to deal probably with micro doses of fame because people began to ask him, John, are you not the one that would come, the Messiah, that we should follow you? He was famous. He became famous. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all those religious people came to see what John had to say. And when Jesus asked them about John to answer the question, was he a prophet or not, they backed up and got together in their little inner huddle saying, you know, if we say he's a prophet, uh, he's going to say, then why didn't you listen to him? And if we say, no, he's not a prophet, then we're going to turn all the people against us because they know he is. So they came back to Jesus and they said, well, we, can't, we don't know the answer to that. And Jesus said, then I'm not going to tell you the answer to what you're asking me. The other questions. And Jesus was so funny. He, he, just, he would get them every time. And they didn't even know what hit him. They'd walk away going, what did he say? What did he mean? If John had been in our culture today, John could have been, could have been tempted to think, well, I'm popular and I'm in the kingdom and I'm a kingdom representative and I'm a kingdom spokesman. Maybe I can leverage this popularity and build my own brand like John the Baptist t-shirts and John the Baptist sleepwear and John the Baptist mugs and cups and maybe I can do, maybe I can leverage this popularity and build my brand and kind of you know, build a stream of income. You know, I've lived in this wilderness thing, and it's not, there's just not a whole lot going on out here. And maybe I can build a stream of income, but I could still point people to the Messiah. I could still fulfill what God said I'm supposed to do. I could, but yet I could also, I could give Jesus some glory, but I could also over here, I could still reserve some of the credit for me. I may not have to die in that dungeon when Herod, adulterous wife's daughter, dances before me and pleases me, and I'm an idiot. This is Herod speaking. I'm an idiot and offer her up to half the kingdom. What do you want, toots, for your dance? And she goes and conspires with her mom, says, I want John, the, John, the head of John the Baptist right now, right now. And Herod is so caught in the trap. John could have thought, I could have avoided all that. I could have leveraged this popularity for myself. But look at John's answer. John says, no, don't confuse who I am and what I've been called to do. I'm not even worthy to untie this Messiah's sandals. John could have been caught up in that fame trap, that idol trap, that wanting to be loved and known and famous and popular and accepted by people trap. And John declared to them in John 3.30, he said, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. John's heart was for people to see more and more of Jesus, and less and less of him. Because John realized it's never been about me. It's always been about him. John refused to be like Lucifer, who in Isaiah 14 said five times, I will ascend, I will exalt myself, I will be seated, I will ascend, I will be like the Most High God. Lucifer wanted it all to be about him, and he still does today. He is still under that deceptive trap, seeking humans to bow the knee and worship him. So how do we keep the right perspective in a culture that we live in today that pushes us, encourages us? It's about you. It's all about you. Have it your way. Do your thing. 
and all the other sayings and logos and slogans and catchy things to appeal to our carnality and our flesh. How do we handle all of that? How do we handle that as Christians? How do we handle that as God's people in a world that people are clawing and scratching and seeking to be known, accepted, popular, and loved by everybody? How do we represent Jesus in a broken, fallen world that so desperately needs his love and the revelation of who he really is? It really all comes down to our motive, our motive. It's imperative that you and I answer two things about ourselves this morning correctly and truthfully. Because when we answer truthfully, many times we see in our life and our heart when we do some self-examination, we see that many times we don't have the right motive. We think we do, but yet when we question ourselves or when we allow the Lord to question us, it's like, well, you're really doing this for the wrong motive. And the first thing you, need to, you and I need to ask ourselves today is, who are you representing? Who? Who is this all about? Is it about you or is it about him? It's what John had to answer. When you show up in life daily, the job, the home, the family, the neighborhood, when you post, when you text, when you talk, when you're at work or at home, who are you representing? Who are you representing at, at home with your family? Who do you represent there? Well, I'm, I'm the dad, and everybody obeys me. I'm king. I'm the mom, and you better do what I say, or I won't feed you, or whatever. I won't pick up your dirty clothes, even though you're 18 years old. Touched the nerve there. We are all tempted. We're all tempted. We're all tempted to represent ourselves. That's just flesh. It's who we are. What we do, what we say, the things that we perform to get people to like us. Second Corinthians, there's so many scriptures, but just one. Second Corinthians 5.20 gives insight into who we are to be representing. Powerful scripture from the Apostle Paul. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come to God. An ambassador is the highest-ranking diplomat sent from one nation to another nation to represent the home territory. An ambassador, as an ambassador for Christ, you and I, that's what we are. That's what Paul said we are. That's what the Lord says we are. That's what the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures to uh, clarify to us who we are. If you wonder who you are, if you're born again, if you're saved, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ to speak for His kingdom. I love it when the teaching of Miles Monroe came out about the Kingdom series when he said, you know, when somebody asks you about transgenderism or homosexuality or abortion or other, other hot topics that are in our culture today, when somebody asks you, what is your opinion, you simply need to respond, I don't have an opinion. I am an ambassador for a kingdom who already has given his opinion on the, on the matter and the situation, and it's found in his constitution. You see, you don't have to come up with your own opinion. And that's the problem with Christianity today. We're trying to fudge. We're trying to, we're trying to be liked. We're trying to be popular. We're trying to kind of smooth it over and say, well, you know, this thing about abortion, you know, yeah, woman's rights and, and all this other stuff. And I know I'm going to rattle some cages today and, and make some people mad, but yeah, I'm in good company doing that. So here we go. This is the constitution of the kingdom. That if you're a child of God, if you're born again, this is what... This is the constitution, and I'm not disking, 
dissing the American Constitution, okay, the United States of Government, that we obey the laws of the land, amen. That's what, that's what this higher Constitution says. You obey the laws of the land as long as they don't ask you to, to disobey the higher law of God. I, I, I respect the president. I don't care what party they are. I respect them. I pray for them, but I may not, disagree, I may not agree with them. But I respect them and I pray for them because they're a human being. They're God's creation. They're in the image of God, and we're called to respect them. They're created in the image of God. Don't curse them because the image of God is in them. You, you read the Bible, James? Man, I'm about to have a preaching fit here. I'm chasing so many rabbits at one time, I got lost on the trail. This is the Constitution. Listen, if you and I aren't walking by this word, if we're not living this word, if, you're, if this is not your conversation, if this... If this is not your heart's desire, if this is not your yearning to become more like Jesus Christ every day of your life, you're missing it. I'm telling you, you're missing it. You have surrendered to the world, and you're carnal, and you're worldly, and you're missing it. You may go to heaven, but your rewards are going to be few. And I'm just going to tell you, the Lord loves you, but he's not going to be too happy with you because you didn't stand for his constitution in a world that's cursing him, telling God to buzz off, telling God to leave us alone, and just pretending that God doesn't exist. This is the constitution. And they don't need my opinion because my opinion, as they say, is not worth a hill of beans. But, and I don't have to explain it. I say, listen, this is what the Constitution of the Kingdom of God says on that topic of transgenderism or homosexuality or, or abortion or, any, or living together or fornication or adultery or lying or cheating or pornography or any other thing you can pick that's an abomination of God. I don't have to explain it. It's already been explained. All you got to do is read it, live it, and walk it, and you're going to go there to heaven, and you're going to be in the Kingdom of God. If you don't, the Bible's very clear says those who do such things will not read my lips and hear my voice you that do those things you will not inherit the kingdom of God I didn't say it don't get mad at me or you can get mad at me if you want to I'm getting used to it it's not my word it's what the constitution says if you're a child of God and you're living in sin you can either repent or you will not be with him throughout eternity that's also in this Constitution. That's not Russell Evenson's opinion. That's the Constitution of the King of all the earth, the Creator, the Maker, the Master, the one who is perfect and doesn't need to change. He's not going to change. Jesus said, this rock is going to fall on some people, and some people are going to stumble over the rock and be broken. Either you'll come to the Lord, and your selfishness, our carnality and our selfishness will be crushed, or either we'll stumble over the word and we'll be crushed. You, I get so fed up. People say, oh, how could a God of love and mercy send anybody to hell? If your God is a God of love and if your God is forgiving. and you're, Listen, God is not like old grandpa, blind, deaf, and dumb. He's going to, everybody that comes into the gate, well, is that you, Harry? Oh, I'm sorry, there is a Harry in the congregation. Is that you? Listen. <laughs> That's, I'm just throwing this out. Is that, you? Is that you, Mildred? I can't really see. Yeah, it smells like Mildred that I created. Mildred, you've been, you've been living with a bunch of these men, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Well, Mildred, it's okay. It, it, it's okay. I, I, I'm just, I, I just really didn't mean all that thing about sin and fornication and adultery. I, I didn't mean all that thing about same-sex 
relationship. I, I really didn't mean that. J- just, just come on in. I, I, you know, I, I just didn't mean that. God's not like that. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of tender. He is a God of goodness. He is a God of graciousness. He is a God that, and, and just like Ephesians said, Paul said, and such were some of you, but now we're born again and we're saved. Oh, God is good. God is good. But he's not some blind, deaf, dumb, weak grandpa figure that's just going to say, oh, I really didn't mean it. Maybe you don't know this, but in a lot of, I don't know about how, I don't know what the percentage is. I could look it up and find it. I mean, you can Google it and find anything. And if you don't believe it, make it up yourself, you know, just make something up. Let me just say it this way. There's a whole lot of churches out there that their pastor, their minister, their spiritual leaders are teaching what is called universalism, that God didn't mean all these things in the book about sin. That Jesus died for everybody, God is all-inclusive, and everybody's already got their ticket stamped, and all you got to do is die to inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you did, what you said. Listen, this book is full of we are going to be stand before you. As a matter of fact, I'm jumping ahead, but that's okay. Revelation 20 said there are books, plural, not just a book of life. There are books, plural. And every word and every deed and every action that you and I have ever, ever, ever done are recorded in them. That's scary. I said, oh, God, I've sowed some bad seeds. I pray for crop failure in the name of Jesus. I pray the blood of Jesus and the grace of God forgives me for what I did yesterday, even what I may have done this morning. Oh, God, I need your mercy. Oh, God, I need your mercy. Listen, the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God, that's the only way any of us are going to make it in. But there are spiritual leaders that are telling people today, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter who you live with, sleep with. It doesn't matter what you do. You're all just going to be in heaven, and it's going to be okay because Jesus died for everybody. He's an all-inclusive God. The Word does say it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should repent, that all should be with Him in eternity. But the reality of it is, the Bible clearly says, those that don't accept, receive, name the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's very clear. Those who don't repent of their sins, those that name the name of Jesus, what? Forsake their sin. That doesn't mean you never sin again, because we do. But it's not something we want to do anymore, right? And when we do and we love God and we're sensitive, the Holy Spirit, man, it's like an immediate arrow into our heart, into our spirit. It's like, why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Ask for forgiveness. And if you're married, your spouse is telling you, hey, that's wrong. You better ask for forgiveness. I mean, my spouse beats the Holy Spirit to the punch. You need to pray for forgiveness. You need to, right now, we need to get this right. There is no way that I'm going to live through that moment without Sylvia first and then the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going, yes, Sylvia, tell him. You're making my job easier. I'll say that, and I'm not joking, but as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you and I are supposed to, listen, yes, it can happen in this room when we're together, but where it really matters is when this service is over, and maybe you go to school of ministry and that's over, is when you walk out these doors and you get in your car and you go out into the, in society in public, that's where your ambassadorship really matters. Because you and I are a witness one way or the other. We're either a good'un or we're a bad'un. 
We're either a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't say perfect because none of us are perfect. But we're either a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we admit it when we're wrong. We admit it when we sin, even before sinners. Because they need to see that you and I are human. They need to see that we're as normal as they are. And they need to see that we're living by the grace of God Almighty himself alone. And they can do the same thing. Some people may feel like you talk too much, Pastor Russell, about yourself and your life and your past and that I want to show you, I want to be transparent with you to show you because we have such a false concept of a pastor and a minister is up on some high level. We're never tempted to sin. Listen, I put my britches on just like every other guy in this room and and I don't do it to, to boast or to brag on myself, but you need to see that that even somebody that walks with God, and I do walk with God, and you walk with God too. I'm not saying I walk with God greater than you, and I'm very careful not to say that. But you need to see that people that love God, they're real, they make mistakes, we fall, we're weak, we're human, but by the grace of God, every one of us is going to make it, and that's the only way we're going to make it. And this thing of universalism and God's just, oh, God just doesn't mean all that. And, 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 and rip, rip God out of society and take him out of the school. That's exactly why we got the mess we've got in America and the rest of the world today. Well, if you don't deal with, if, 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 you know, if you take God out of it and you don't educate the children and, and, and you don't give them all those religious guidelines and all that relationship with God and, and you take him out of the public and you take him out of the, the nation and you take him out of the school and you take him out of the society, you take him out of the PTA and the PTO, you take God out of everything else. We don't have to deal with him. Just push God in the back room somewhere. He doesn't really exist anyway. You just do what you want to do. And that's what the book of Judges says. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that kind of philosophy will send you on the trail that you will miss eternity with God. You won't miss eternity, but you'll miss eternity with God. And as an ambassador, when you and I come into a room, a situation, even today with this that happened to, to Steve, we have authority over this. It happened right before our eyes. And you and I are gonna, God's gonna, God's gonna allow you and I to walk into situations like that. People are in trouble. There's a catastrophe, there's a wreck, there's an accident, people in trouble, boom, they drop to the ground. Nobody knows what's wrong with it. Start praying in tongues. If you don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit because that is your arsenal, that is your strength, that is your power that will enable you that the Spirit of God can work through you to do signs, wonders, and miracles. We need to be hungry. Not perfect, but hungry. And we're an ambassador. We walk into a room. We're supposed to be atmosphere changers, the very present. You, when, because of Jesus in you and the Spirit of God in you, when you walk into a room, that atmosphere should change. You walk into a room where they're cussing, where they're fussing, where they're talking dirty and nasty, and when you walk in the room, they shut up. And they go, whoop. And see, you may say, well, they don't like me. I can feel it. They don't like me. It don't matter. They didn't like Jesus. And people that are evil and wicked with an evil and wicked intent, they're not going to like righteousness. So just fasten your I started to say girdle, fasten your belt or whatever you got to fasten. And just it's not going to get better. We got to get stronger. Do, do you believe this? Am I just talking to people? Am I just talking in the air today? So who are you representing with your lifestyle? And then second question is who approval, whose approval matters the most? The answer is it should be Jesus' approval of your life, God's approval of your life. But even some of us as Christians, we play to the crowd. We tell people what they want to hear. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed. You go to that church, you go to that church where they shout. You go to that church where they come down front and they dance. And people lay on the floor at your church. What? 
What's wrong with y'all? What aileth y'all? What aileth thee? We laugh at jokes we shouldn't be a part of. All in the name of trying to fit in. We fail to let his light shine through us. Hoping that people will like us. Well, I'm kind of laying back right now. I'm kind of a secret agent for Jesus. And I'm kind of laying low right now. And I'm, going to, I'm, I'm just going to let him see that my life shine. Listen, if you're not living the life, don't open your mouth. Because you bring an abomination into defilement to the name of Jesus. Don't sit there and say, I'm a Christian, and let them know you're a Christian, you're a believer, and then sit there laughing at nasty jokes and off-colored stuff and, and all that stuff. You have just violated, you have just made your testimony of zero effect. Because they're sitting there looking at you saying, you're no different, you're no better than I am. I'll, listen, there are sinners that live better than some of us. Instead of living from the approval of God... Too many times we're living for the approval of man. Why? Because we're living to be known, accepted, popular, part of the crowd, noticed, famous. Here's a root of it. This is why ancient paths, and we're talking to ancient paths to you about right now. There's a, one of the seminars just this month. Because psychologists, and I mean Christian psychologists even, not just the worldly ones, but Christian psychologists, they tell us that the root of wanting fame and to be accepted, to be popular, usually is caused from either an injury, meaning emotional injury, or neglect, that somewhere we were neglected in our life. So we're trying to overcompensate for it and do things and say things and be somebody in order to be accepted because we didn't get it when we were younger or from an injury or meaning not physical injury but just an emotional injury. That craving to be noticed, admired and popular, it comes from an experience of being made to feel insignificant, meaningless. You don't matter. And maybe your mother and father, maybe if they didn't say that to you in words, maybe you were treated that way and you were left with the residual experience that you felt like my life really didn't matter in this family. My life really didn't matter in this world. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that just, their parents absolutely just have, have abandoned them emotionally, physically, in every way. Some of may had parents who were difficult to live up to their parents' expectations. I don't know where my dad got it, but he was a perfectionist. I don't know if he got it from his dad. I don't know, I don't know where it happened, but boy, when he sent us out in the yard to do something, it better be done right. And you don't come in the house to use the bathroom or drink water. You can get water out of the hose, the spigot, the hose. And there's trees out there for you guys to go to the bathroom at. And he was in the army, but he wasn't actually fighting army, but he was in the army. But, and I don't know where he got it, except for maybe from his dad was that way towards him. His father was Norwegian. They're typically pretty hard, unemotional, cold people. And, but but dad, dad was that way. When Sylvie came into the family, first time Sylvie came to visit my family, such differences. When I went home, she took me home to Savannah to see her family. They treated me like I was one of the sons before we were ever even married. So I said, man, I better, act, I, I better do good because, I mean, I'm already in. Her mom wanted me to pray for her more than anybody else to pray for her. And I was just accepted. But when Sylvie came to visit my family, my dad would st stuck out his hand to shake her hand. And Sylvia looked at that hand like, what's that? I'm not used to that. And I could see, I just saw the, the exchange between them, and I was just laughing inside. 
And he sticks his old hand out to her, and Sylvia, in her way, she just pushes past that hand and just wraps her arms around his neck and just gives him a hug. He never extended his hand to her again. It melted the Norwegian ice cube. What a difference in family. But he was a, he was a perfectionist. And I've had the... And there's qualities of wanting to do things right and do things well, but there's, there's also that, that issue of being a perfectionist that you not only drive yourself beyond sanity, but you drive everybody else crazy. Can I get an amen for some of you that live with a perfectionist? Oh, you're scared. <laughs> I understand that. I will let you all. You may have been rejected at some point and felt overlooked. That's what they tell us. The longing of your soul to, is to be known, noticed, validated, and accepted. I want to tell you with all sincerity, if you're that, if some of those things I've read, if you're experiencing that, you need to go to ancient paths. It will deal with that root wherever it came. It's not to blame your parents. It'll deal with that root. And the most important thing, it'll show you in Jesus how to be set free because God, God loves us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I'm still amazed by that after 48 years. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Romans, the book of Romans talks about the more thans of God. If he loved us when we were a sinner, how much more does he love us now that we trust in him? He loved us when we were rascals, when we were bad, when we were evil, when we were wicked, when we were just not what we should have been. Here's what we need to focus on that will heal us and give us a proper perspective. Instead of seeking self-fame, self-popularity to set our perspective right so that we can represent him as true ambassadors in the kingdom. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6. For we speak as messengers approved by God. Did you get it? Messengers approved by God. Not man, not our family, but messengers approved by God. And to be entrusted with the good news, period, our purpose is to please God. When you're out there in your flesh, your carnality, and the enemy of your soul is tempting you, do this, say this, to make a name, a place for yourself, a way for yourself. Remember the scripture, your purpose is to please God. You can please man, but the next time around, the next event that happens, they'll turn on you, uh, not everybody, but so many times they'll turn on you. They'll change their mind about you. They'll get, to, they'll get to, to know things about you or think that they do or somebody said something to do. And before you know it, who was once singing your praises is going to be looking for a way to usher you out. Your purpose is to please God. Not man. You know, we're not going to stand before man in eternity. We're going to stand before the king. We're going to stand before the savior. We're going to stand before the Lord. And the scriptures say we're going to give an account. Even as a child of God, you're going to be in heaven, in eternity with God. But you're still, we're still, as Christians, we're going to give an account. That's the judgment seat of Christ, the great judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, the reward seat, the reward center. That's where you're going to be determined what you did as a Christian. Does it stand for eternity? Will it be blessed and rewarded for eternity? Or will it be burned up in a total loss? The great white long judgment is for the sinner. There's no questions asked there. There's no, it's just like, here's your life. You didn't accept my, the, the sacrifice of my son. There's only one place for you to go. That's eternity without God. But for the child of God, 
We're going to stand before him. So our goal, our purpose is to please God, not people. For God alone, it says he alone examines the motives of our heart. We can even think we're doing the right thing for the right purpose sometimes, but we need to let the Holy Spirit judge that and judge in the sense of determine, is my heart really doing this for the right reason? Am I really doing this for the right reason? Or am I doing it to be known, to be popular, to be loved, to be accepted or fame? And he goes on to say, as for human praise, Paul was saying this. Listen, Paul was even popular and famous back then. They argued over Paul and Apollos, and, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a disciple of Paul. I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of Aquila and Priscilla. I'm a disciple of John. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Paul was even famous back then. How did he handle it? He said, as for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Paul said, my goal is to please God. So who are you representing and whose approval matters most in your life today? Less about me, following me or noticing me, more about him, Jesus, following him and noticing and keeping our focus on him. When our culture push, pushes us towards fame and that desire to be noticed, important, popular, and, and, and famous, realize that that desire, it's rooted because there's been an injury or an offense in our life and it, and it, is, it is the fame and the popularity is a false promise that cannot deliver what you're really longing and looking for. We're not called to be famous. We're called to be faithful. The wonderful thing about the Lord is every one of us in this room and listening today, you have gifts and callings. You are unique. You are unique. God made you like he made you. People don't understand that, but God does. God loves it. Our color, our skin color, our hair color, our eye color, our fingerprints, your personality, everything about you is unique. It is you. And God loves it, and God made you that way. And you should never look in the mirror and discredit yourself. The way you look, or, or your failures, or your past, you should never discredit yourself. Because Philippians 1 says, God will complete and perform the good work that he's begun in you into the day of Jesus Christ. You just have to cooperate with him. That's all we have to do. We're called to cooperate with him. And cooperation means being faithful. Showing up when we don't feel like it. Doing what's right when we don't feel like it. Being faithful to God. Being faithful. And some of you around here, you know, live a life worthy of the one that's called you because you're going to stand before him. And one day the Lord will not say, well done, my famous rock star. That's not what Jesus is going to say. I promise you. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. A servant like he is, was, and is. And faithful when you serve every day, your family, when you serve your family, you feel like, ah, I'm just, I'm just at home. I just, you are serving your family. You're ministering to your family. That is not something to be looked down or frowned upon. People say, people say, oh, uh, I, 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 I don't work. I don't work outside the home. Listen, if you're at home, you're working. Unless you're just a couch potato or you're a hoarder and you just build up the, everything around you, you know. People that are home, you're working. So every day, you serve every day and every week. And nobody knows your name. Nobody, no, but be assured, he knows your name. He knows your name. He knows what you've done for him. I've already mentioned in Revelation 20 and 12, there's books opened and we'll be judged by all of the things recorded in the books. God honors our service. He honors our faithfulness. He honors your tithing. He honors your prayers. He honors your faithfulness in all the areas of your life when you do it year 
after year, month after month, day after day, hour after hour, whether you feel like doing it or not, because you're faithful to him. You're seeking to please him. We need to be reminded the world may not know your name, but he does. He knows your name. And he knows who you are. He knows what you've done for his kingdom. And he calls you loved, chosen, blessed, favored. Because you're not living for the crowd, you're living for him. Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, Lord, but not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, Lord, not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. Will you stand with me together this morning? The world doesn't, but the Lord does have incredible plans, purpose, and destiny for you. And as, you, as we seek together to please the Lord, to honor Him, to not fall into the trap of trying to seek man's approval or pleasure, or fall into the, the micro tra- trap of all the things that we mentioned this, today, but to live for Him, the Lord sees. The Lord actually calls us, the Lord needs us today in that role of faithful and faithful servants to him. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray for myself. I pray for these people today, Lord. As we live in a world that is pressuring us, especially upon our youth and our young people, Father, we pray for them at camp this week that, Lord, this would be a holy, dedicated time of encounter with you. That, Lord, as they go with friends as they're in an atmosphere of your presence, of worship, of praise, of prayer, of Bible study, also of fun and activities and and just having a good time. But Father, we pray over our young people, God, who face extreme pressures in this time, in this era today. We pray for them, O God, that Jesus reveal yourself to them, that they would come with an open and a hungry heart, that, Lord, that they'd realize that This world will not, cannot, doesn't satisfy. You're the only one that can. A relationship with you, a knowledge and awareness that, Lord, you have a destiny, you have a calling, a plan, a purpose, and it's all good. It's all good. And it's a transformation, transformative process, Lord, that you have every one of us on, Lord, not just our youth, but every one of us or on that transformational process of you conforming us into the image of your very Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And we pray, Father, that we would seek your pleasure, seek to please you, Father. Resist that pressure from the world that works upon our flesh and our carnality, that Jesus, you will be first. Yeshua, you will be Lord, Adonai. In your name, Lord Jesus, work on us. I'd like to invite our prayer teams if they would come. And I'd like to invite you today, not just dealing with this subject of that you're struggling with Jesus being first or some kind of lifestyle that you know that you're participating in, that maybe I touched on it today. Maybe the Holy Spirit touched you as things were said today. And you know, you knew already, you knew before you came into this room, this building, that these ways of living were not right. Listen, this is for you. Those things were impromptu. They were, they were not in my notes. The Holy Spirit is speaking because He loves you. And the Holy Spirit wants to draw you and woo you to a closer relationship with God the Father that you would examine your heart.
Examine your motives. Examine your life. Why am I living the way I'm living? What am I living for? Who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to show honor to? The Lord is examining our hearts as His people. Getting us ready to be witnesses in this world, but also ready for His coming because He is coming back for a pure, spotless bride who will take with Him. If that's you, if that's you this morning, I'm asking you to be bold. I'm asking you this morning to be honest with God and honest with yourself. Just say, Pastor, that's me. I need prayer. I need to surrender. I need to put Jesus first. As Pastor Larry leads us in a worship, just step out from where you are and just come and make your way and let one of these pray with you today.